0: Talk radio.
1: Pagans Tonight Radio, the voice of the pagan world, featuring the man with all the questions that some don't want you to hear. Called the most dangerous person you will ever listen to, the ever-curious digital pioneer, Ed the Pagan. And welcome back to Pagans Tonight Radio, uh, with, you, with me, the host, Ed the Pagan, a.k.a. Ed Hubbard, a.k.a. Troublemaker. I'm kidding about the troublemakers these days. I don't do as much as I used to. I want to thank everyone uh, who's made this latest series, the Emerging Pagan Leaders, so far the one of the most listened to series we have had on Pagan Tonight Radio, both past and present. And that's saying something, since we've had well over 3,785 shows, sessions, and some of those show sessions had two or three, and over 6,000 hours radio. And so this has become very thingy. This is very interesting. Tonight, um, we're going to talk to two uh, leading uh, women who are leaders, uh, Bethany Moore and, Will and Isabel rizzo Conse. And um, Bethany surprised me because of her activity and her inclusion into the, Pentacle Vet, uh, the Veterans Pentacle uh, quest which is um, shocking because I thought I knew the whole story. But if you haven't heard – until you hear this interview, you haven't heard the whole story. After you listen to this interview, you will actually know more about how amazing, overall, the Veterans Pentacle Quest was. Let us begin. And welcome to another night of emerging leaders on Night Radio. Tonight we're talking to Bethany Moore. And I think this is fascinating. And a poet, author, activist, and uh, she's got some really good, interesting stories to tell here. And so we're just going to be right there. Welcome,
2: welcome, Bethany. Welcome to the uh, show. Thanks for having me, Ed.
1: we're going to talk about emerging leaders. And uh, originally I was calling them youth leaders, and I've gotten you know, and so by this point I am realizing they're not youth leaders. They're so much as emerging uh, leadership. And uh, so can you tell us a little bit about how you got here, your origin, your story, your comic book, you know, your one page comic book story?
2: (laughs) Sure. Um, Well, I was a weird kid (laughs) and uh, found myself uh, looking into that section of the bookstore that had magic and fairies and supernatural and those sorts of topics from a very young age. And definitely found Wicca and paganism when I was about, I want to say, 12, 11 or 12. Um, So just was buying books and reading them and doing my own thing. Um, This was the early mid-90s, so the Internet was not available quite yet. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, But when I was in high school um, in 96, a freshman in high school, I grew up in southern Maryland uh, in St. Mary's County, and the first metaphysical Wiccan store I'm sure the county had ever seen <laughs> opened up in my neighborhood in Hollywood, Maryland, called Keepers of the Moon Garden. And, of course, I didn't have a license yet, so I asked my dad to take me down there immediately, and I met the store storekeeper, uh, Teresa, she also goes by Iris, and befriended her, and, and she became a family friend, really. Um, And I began studying under her, and she was involved in um, a Maryland-based coven um, called Circle of Amber Rose Back uh, that's still around 25 plus years, 30 years later. And I just started being a part of that community of elders, too, while I was in high school. Now, my parents are conservative, Republican, blah, 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 but not too religious. So thankfully, they were very open to me having my own path. Uh, so I basically spent high school going to regular public school, but also uh, going to witch school and really feeling blessed that I had that community and that support system of, of elders, really, that I'm still in touch with to this day. Well, that's terrific. And um, So I'm going to go with uh, the,
1: the, the most fascinating thing. I think you are a published author of uh, poetry and fairy tales. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: <laughs> sure, yes. Um, I've been writing poetry from a young age as well, weird kid. Um, so uh, finally, in my early 30s, I, or mid-30s, I guess, uh, I finally got around to publishing some collections of poetry, because I had so much I was just sitting on. Um, so I started arranging them and um, published a couple of books, including one um, about a person that was in my life uh, for over 20 years who, who died in 2016. And I, I grieved a lot and wrote a lot about him over the years. Um, so The Cicada and the Firefly is the name of that one, and I immediately followed with a more general collection of poetry called Weather Magic, a collection of poetry and witchcraft, um, and then I, I got inspired uh, one, one winter, uh, a couple years later, to write a short story, Dark Fairy Tale. Um, it was kind of amazing how uh, I, I describe it as the muse just like came down and dropped the story on me and I felt so inspired and just immediately started writing and scribbling. And, you know, by, by summer, I, I had the book done. Um, so that fairy tale, um, is a, the, the main character instead of a princess or a queen or, um, whatever, a, a peasant girl is, is a witch, um, and of course it's <laughs> it's based off of me, surprise, surprise. But um, it is a little bit of a sad love story, but it has a lot of twists and it doesn't have your traditional happy ending of happily ever after. Um, that one is called uh, A Witch's Tale, The Taming of a Daemon. Um, so I feel really excited about that story and my friends that weren't quite as poetry interested loved the story part of it. It was easy for them to read. Um and, and then I circled back around uh just a couple years ago to publish my latest collection um whew, which which had a little bit of darker themes in it is to be honest. Um uh and I'm <laughs> I'm a blanking on the title of it. Um uh it's called Crying Spells, um, and it's a double entendre. Mm-hmm. Um rituals of bone, blood and sorrow. So um, those are the four books that I have out. And they obviously through the titles, um, there's, I'm I'm very open about it having themes of ritual and pagan characteristics. Um, And even in the fairy tale, um, I did a lot of research on herbs, and honestly, uh, psychedelics as well. Um, so I purposefully mention uh, cannabis and mushrooms in that fairy tale story as part of what the, ri- the witch is going through in her journey.
1: I okay, think that sounds like a very interesting and honest story about witches there. <laughs> one of your strongest forays into uh, into leadership, early leadership, was the uh, veteran, pe- uh, the Veterans Pentacle Quest, which was to this day, it's one of the most epic moments in the, in the pagan community and continues to resonate with us, not just the accomplishment of it, of, of getting that to be accepted by the military, but the actions of it. And you were an integral part of it. Can you tell us your story involved with the Veterans Pentacle Quest?
2: Oh, gosh. Yes. I am so. Excited that I got to be a part of that. It was you're so right. It was so important for the pagan community and for religious freedom in general. Um, So I, at the time, was working at Americans United for separation of church and state, which is an amazing organization that's been around decades and decades. And I got hired to be a campaign manager for this two-year campaign called First Freedom First. And that was the two years leading up to Obama being elected for the first time. What we were doing with that campaign to briefly talk about that was just covering all these First Amendment freedom issues ranging from, you know, the right to be an atheist, same-sex marriage, end-of-life care, um, my favorite. Um, like hashtag, if you will, from that campaign is democracy, not theocracy. Um, And I still pull it out sometimes. (laughs) Uh, So that was a really cool campaign that I was the campaign manager of, got to travel around the country. And we worked with the Interfaith Alliance on that project as well. Fun fact, um, it was funded by Andy Grove, who's one of the founders of Intel. So that was cool. Um, So during my time there, uh, the offices were in D.C., just a few blocks from Union Station in a a beautiful historic building. And I was reading about Roberta Stewart and her fight for getting her husband honored in, in his gravestone marker and them not allowing the pentacle. And, you know, it just struck me that I was working somewhere that, sometimes would take on little cases like this. So one of the lawyers on the third floor was particularly friendly, so I felt comfortable running upstairs one afternoon and saying, hey, um, just thought, thought, you know, take a look at this. It seems like something we could, you know, put a statement out about or something in the very least, uh, a tweet, I don't know. And uh, I said, thanks for bringing this to me. Let me take a look at this it was probably less than a month later that we're at the all hands staff meeting and our um our director uh Reverend Barry Lynn, great guy. He says, "Well, everyone, we're um we're taking on this lawsuit against the Department of Veterans Affairs and um it's it's for the pagans." And I, you know, jump for joy <laughs> around this uh giant conference room of 20 plus people that made up uh, the team of Americans United for separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. So in addition to my role as campaign manager for the other campaign, um, I was the in-house pagan. I was, I was very out of the broom closet. I was, you know, like I have to help, obviously. So um, I got to step in in a, quite a few ways during that time, um, travel to some pagan pride events and Give uh, little updates and speeches about what we were doing um, in in regards to the lawsuit, uh, which which is great to get the pagan community activated uh, on this federal issue that impacts veterans, uh, people who have served our country, who are theoretically fighting for religious freedom, and then being denied that when they come back uh, and and they or when they pass overseas, uh, you know, in duty also not, not being met with a VA that says, yes, we honor your religious, spiritual symbolism. Nope. They said, here's a list of 38 symbols that you can choose from, uh, including the Sikh symbol, including half a dozen different types of Christian symbols, but nope, you cannot have a five pointed star in a circle. Sorry. Um, So that we were able to, long story short, uncover that pagans were being discriminated against uh, from the highest levels. You may remember the faith-based initiative from that time. Um, So that was a way to give preference to um, more mainstream, particularly Christian groups uh, for this government funding. They were saying pagans aren't charitable people, meaning we don't have deep pockets, I guess. Um, So we were just getting kicked around at the highest level levels of government. We were able to uncover that. And basically if the VA had continued, they would be using taxpayer money to discriminate against Americans, religions, particularly veterans. So they dropped the lawsuit and they added the symbol. And here we are. Thankfully, we've gotten that far, Um, and I think it was groundbreaking for pagans to have come together for this, Um, uh, and the bravery of the widow, Roberta Stewart, to step up and be a part of this as well, after, I mean, while still grieving the loss of her husband, then thrusting herself into this, this federal circus of, of lawsuits and lawmaking, Uh, it, But we did win. So, so there's that success and victory um, of this pentacle quest that we, that we achieved. And I'm sure you, you remember, uh, you know, April of 2007, when we, when we got it, you know, like, wow, we actually did this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We, We won.
1: Yeah, I think there still needs to be a book written about this so that it's immortalized. Because I, you know, I've always wondered what, a, you know, I've heard so many components of the story from people, and uh, I'm really glad to be talking to you about it because I, I actually, you know, we, I don't have all the parts. I don't think ever, I don't think anyone has all the parts to it. So this is one of those moments. I think there's there's got to be a book here in the future. Um, uh, so. But oh it, yeah i mean it does it's it's probably one of the most important stories now, even fourteen fifteen years later, it still resonates and yes. um and it was very uh it was probably one of the most important things it really changed i think the course of not only uh something it, it, i think it you know it, it deepened Selena, lady Selena fox's um her mission with uh, uh Lady Liberty League I think a lot of people yes. – you know, and to see the mainstream and in seeing uh the separation of church of states the groups. Uh, backing this really helped out, and it made possible just – was it last week? Oh, my God, two weeks ago. Um, President Biden actually offered uh, blessings and, and uh, celebration to those people who were ser- serving in the autumn masses. I mean, it was the first time I saw anyone come out and actually say, hey, yes. we're celebrating. And that happened – and I think all of that's tied together. I
2: the think thing- interface work is so important, Yes.
1: And uh, just for reference, people, we will be covering the Parliament of World Religions uh, in two weeks. Uh, The first of virtuals, uh, so watch for that. Um, So the third thing you do, and I know you do probably a lot more than that, (laughs) but I think it's fascinating is that you are a cannabis activist, uh, that you are working in that field. And that, to me, is one of the more interesting side things because Pagan's my age and older. You know, this was really restricted. I remember Fessel says you can't be caught with it. I mean, it was mm-hmm. just people went to, I know, I know people who went to jail for a single joint Sure. in the older days. And now I watch the kids um, who just like have no fear of that. They don't understand some of uh, you know, the behaviors that some of the older smokers have, you know, like somebody walks up, they hide everything. You're like, why are you doing that? It's legal <laughs> or semi-legal. It depends on where you're at. And then there's still a lot more work to do. Can, but can you talk about your your at role in that and what you do?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, much like I got involved in pagan activism in in my twenties as well. In the 2000s, I, I was also a little bit more secretly. Involved in medical cannabis activism um, it wasn't cool then um, and like I said I'm from Maryland to so the DC area as well and you know some of my friends were getting government jobs or government contractor jobs and did not consume cannabis and they were getting a little nervous about me and my activism working with Americans for safe access the Maryland mm-hmm. chapter and at that point we were just trying to protect patients who had debilitating illnesses, who didn't want painkillers and opioids and cannabis really made them feel better and their quality of life and helped with their pain and they needed it. And we were just trying to protect them at that point. And I'll be honest, adult use legalization or recreational or whatever you'd like to call it. That wasn't even something I thought was possible Um, So just having medical cannabis protections for patients and those who are their caregivers was all I could imagine back then. Um, So, you know, fast forward, though, uh, almost eight years ago, I applied to work at the National Cannabis Industry Association, which was pretty fresh. Um, I was employee number five and. At this point, I am now the deputy director of communications for NCIA, and we are a trade association representing the legal, regulated cannabis industry. It is a responsible industry that cares about public safety, that cares about consumer safety, being compliant. Um, I, I remember talking to regulators in Maryland at a hearing in Annapolis and they, they didn't get it. They, they were older than dirt and just had no clue. And they're like, how do we know it's not laced with PCP? And, you know, if I knew then what I know now, you know, first mm-hmm. of all, I would say two things. One that costs extra. And, just kidding. That's a joke. But mm-hmm. two, it is laboratory Tested for not only that, to make sure there's no PCP on it, but also molds, pesticides, heavy metals, other toxins. So the cannabis cannabis that's purchased in a legal regulated dispensary is really safe. Um, And there are recalls. So there's checks and balances for this legal cannabis industry. And taking it out of the illicit market is also great for women, I'd like to add, Um, because there was a time, you know, I had to, uh, you know, go to the guy who had to get it out of his backpack in some sketchy parking lot. Mm -hmm. That's not safe for me. And like I have been assaulted in those situations. So for me to be able to go into a store, show my ID, go in, I want that, I want that, I want that. Oh, it costs this much. Thank you very much. I don't have to sit and hang out and listen to reggae for an hour and a half. Awesome. I'm out of here. So it's safer in all these different ways. Uh, I really, you know, as a pagan, we have herbal therapy. You know, we, we do tinctures and use mm-hmm. herbs in ritual to put someone behind bars for a plant that allows for healing Um, these things line up for me very easily. So while the older generations were raised during the war on drugs and were told that marijuana is a gateway drug and it's bad and reefer madness, all that was a way to discriminate against people. Mm -hmm. And it's not even a conspiracy. People who worked for the Nixon and Reagan administration will tell you Um, It's it's reported they were using it to go after black and brown people and immigrants, as well as those commie hippies. So it it was a gateway drug for the police to mess with undesirables is what it comes down to. It is racist and it is discriminatory. And that's, but that's just what was being taught back then. So Things are different now, and regulated legal cannabis, the sky did not fall, crime is reducing, all those things are showing – we're, we're and, hey, we're creating jobs, and, hey, states are getting tax revenues. Who'd have sunk?
1: Absolutely. Well, I do think that one of the things – I'm a big fan of Russell Brand, and I love his statement, is that marijuana is not a gateway drug. It's trauma that the gateway – Oh, yeah, drugs. And that, you know, people are using some of those things to anesthetize themselves. And we need for it. And the other thing I think I, I want to mention here, we still see this propaganda. Um, this idea that, oh, your kids on Halloween, don't go trick or treating because we they're going to give them edibles. That's such BS trust me no one's going to give their edibles to kids because
2: no they're mine i bought them for me i mean didn't some dumb kid do that once in 1986 and now every every year like you know no no one they're going to use their their cannabis gummies and edibles for themselves that's why they they're expensive they are expensive (laughs)
1: and and this was the same thing they did with the razor blades and the all the canned halloween candy Mm -hmm. Which we discovered, if you ever look back on it, there was no such record of it, and the only records right. of it were induced by family members against family members. But so we've always seen this sort of attack on on both the pagan, and also this idea of the drugs being you know pagan and heathen and criminal and sin. So your certainly. work is, certainly, so your work is very valuable. Um, I'm appreciative of it. Um, and Thank you're so. right, and you're and you're very right about the idea of being sketchy, even as. A young man, as a young adult, uh, I worked for political offices, and I was always worried. And there were a couple of us who did it, but we were always worried that somebody would catch us and blackmail us or whatever.
3: Mm-hmm. It was
1: a very much an open uh, space, and now, now I'm, uh, I am now uh, media and do all this sort of open pagan stuff. It's very interesting not you know, to see these younger people embrace it and take it a lot more honestly and a lot more seriously. So I think that's great work. So let's talk a little bit about your pagan practices. How do you, what type of pagan do you recognize? And you, what are
2: some of your practices? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I've, I've always believed and was taught, you know, there's, there's some frameworks in place, um, but your path is your own. So um, I enjoyed, you know, the eclecticism of paganism, very much, so um, i i i I think all aspects are are important. I think I primarily, as far as my divination tools, I work with tarot cards and love astrology um, i also since i 'm not part of a formal coven or circle anymore um I do have you know lots of pagan new age friendly friends. Um, maybe, maybe not as deep into the, <laughs> uh, the paganism as I have been, but, um, open in their spiritual practice enough for, uh, for me to be able to do what I call urban backyard rituals. Um, I don't have a fire pit anymore cause I just moved into an apartment complex, but in my last several houses, um, fire pits in the backyard are a very simple tool for gathering, um, for calling in elements, for allowing a safe space, because um, really I I use my spiritual practice for healing as and for personal transformation, um, and and that's what it's for. <laughs> so to I. I I I like the general. See, you got me here. I'm like I don't know. I'm a little bit of everything. I'm I'm tripping on my tongue here. But, um, you, you know, I I I was given I chose and was given a name as a teenager, um, Aurelia, which is the Italian uh, mm-hmm. goddess. And wh- how I really relate with her is that she was kind of a pioneer and an activist too. Um, so that is the kind of energy that I embody when I think of. Uh, during a time of inquisition and oppression, someone going and reteaching the old ways to people who had had their power stripped from them and giving them their power back by teaching them about gathering under the moon, um, about the wheel of the year, about these simple practices that reconnect us to the cycles of nature. So I hold a sacred space. I would say my friend circle, um, is focused on, um, authentic manifestation and a little bit of shadow work, to be honest. Um, you know, we're, most of us are in our thirties and forties, sometimes late twenties for those younger friends. Um, and you know, we've seen some shit and we've got some stuff to work through. Pardon my French.
3: Mm -hmm. And,
2: uh, that's what the comfort of Sacred Circle can provide. It can provide a space of healing. So that is really my focus. And I don't consider myself a, a gardenarian or a Straga or a anything in particular. Um, but but all of the resources are there and available to us. And sometimes even a Hindu goddess will make her way into the circle. Um, Sometimes a Shinto goddess, you know, it is all open to the needs and interpretation of the self and the group and the time of year. Um, So is there a name for what I just described or am I just super eclectic, it is literally that eclectic
1: i think yep. that is the name of it and i and and th- absolutely i think that is a very strong i think a logical or eclectic and so thank you so it's okay
2: I, to be eclectic is,
1: oh absolutely and and I, I and i i've been seeing there there is this idea inside the community right now of i see much more the traditions as disciplines and uh the fact mm. is is that today we have a book every day coming out somewhere <laughs> about paganism, Wicca, witchcraft, psychism, this sort of world that we live in. And we're, you know, we're, and that the idea of this idea of just a singular path is really kind of past, is past. And now we have so much information. And it's, and and the really, the hard part is guiding yourself through that for younger people to guide themselves through that information. And being eclectic or being open to all these ideas is exactly what we've been teaching. And, you know, the idea of it. And ultimately, the idea that nature and spirit are able to heal and to
2: bring about change in you that is positive. So it sounds like you've really embraced that aspect. Definitely. Um, and I, I, I will say I am encouraged to see more witchy themes and aesthetics out there in the world. It's, it's not so scary to be, oh, this is my friend. She's a witch. Like, yeah, that's normal. Everyone has a witch friend or two now, right? And, mm-hmm. but, that's, but that's not to say that this witch talk, this TikTok witch talk thing, mm-hmm. I don't know. Were they trying to hex the moon or something a year ago? I don't know what that's all about. So Those, those kids, I don't know. we got to settle down with witch talk down there. I don't know what they're doing. Oh, I do. I, I'm a big fan of TikTok, actually,
1: um, <laughs> as of being a techno witch. And, um, I have a really brief answer on that, what they were doing. And it was an individual, a small group that ended up doing it. Which got blown out of proportion. They were mad. They wanted to change the system, and they were just basically, they were angry, and they were being told that their magic wasn't correct. There was that, and so they went out activist. I mean, activism in the Trump, you know, Trump bindings, and sort of this sort of um, the revolution is witchcraft. So we see a very younger group of people who are challenging the status quo. Otherwise, you know, I I love witch talk. we we've already had one show on it. I'm going to have another show on it soon because um, I think it's very important uh, to listen to it. And their numbers there far outstrip Facebook, Instagram, and all the other types of which you know witch groups. TikTok is a much larger group. The Generation Z and the early alphas are just dominating that space. So it's it's a fascinating thing, but it is absolutely something that people aren't used to. It's also like emoji spells. You know, people aren't used to that, but it's just, <laughs> it just modernized Egyptian hieroglyphics. Uh, it's cute. It's very cute. Yeah. So we are starting to see that shift into interpretation. Every generation, and this is why I love this Emerging Leaders Talk, is every generation has to interpret it for themselves, especially because of the fact that we're seeing such exponential growth, and we have continued to see that exponential growth. Between the time of the, vet- even the veteran Pinnacle Quest and now, that growth is over 2 million just in that space, and it will be probably 10 million people by 2027 – that's my prediction – will be involved in this space in one way or another. And we don't even have the space for all those, uh, those, those individuals, and that's why I think it's great that we're having so many younger individuals coming, kind of emerging to, to at least be a guide. And I think
2: absolutely you, agree.
1: And obviously, you are one of them who are helping guide people along. Um, And taking on so many different things. So the next question is a little different. I've asked this of all of the individual. What music are you listening to today? Are you obsessing over anything of that nature?
2: Um, You know, my long time obsession these last few years have been uh, Fiona Apple, who finally put another album out in the middle Mm -hmm. of COVID last year. And Lana Del Rey. I am a huge fan of hers as well. And this Billie Eilish, honestly, I'm digging her music as well, Um, but otherwise, I'm honestly an old jazz fan. I listen to Kuvo jazz, the Denver station here, Um, love, love just all kinds of older jazz, as well as like the lo-fi jazz remixes that you can listen to now, Um, so so that's what's usually rotating for me.
1: Terrific, and so, so, what do you see? So you've you've accomplished this, and we've got a long you've got a long life ahead of you, um, probably another at least sixty years because uh, you're the generation that is most likely to see one hundred as a normal age. Uh, yeah, it's true. I mean, the statistics, I, the insurance statistics are showing uh, much more of that long life, so you have plenty of time. Do you have any? Do you see where do you see yourself going in the future,
2: or do you? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I'd like to continue publishing more witchcraft-informed poetry, um, mm-hmm. and I'd like to continue that short story series. Even my parents read it and encouraged me to continue writing the fairy tale-style stories to share wisdom. So I'd, I, I, I kind of have a, an idea that's been brewing in the back of my head for the next one, for a little while now and I just haven't been able to dive in. So hopefully I'd like to continue A Witch's Tale as a series. Um, and I even I have a working title for the next one, something about a banshee screaming. Um, and honestly, I have recently started volunteering back to kind of an interface um, uh, goal of mine and, and centering. I've started volunteering with a couple organizations here in Denver whose intentions are to work with the Afghanistan refugees that are coming back here to the United States or coming here to the United States. And um, Colorado, where I live, is going to get um, 865. Um, and in particular, I have a desire to reach across the interfaith aisle to Muslim women and develop relationships with them. Um, I think the Muslim religion is also a very complicated one. And much like there's 800 flavors of Christianity and even more flavors of paganism, the same is true about the Muslim faith as well. So I would like to see what can be done there to do more interfaith work with the Muslim community, with Muslim women in particular. Um, as we all know, Wicca paganism is one of the most friendly religions to women, um, the most uh, gender equality and leadership and empowerment. So that's something I've been thinking about for a long, long time. And this opportunity with this influx of refugees, I'm just beginning the baby steps of getting involved with these organizations as a volunteer um, to help them a- a- acclimate here to American culture
1: that's true that's really a terrific thing and with your history I have no doubt you'll achieve uh, great things of giving people uh, especially women at least the opportunity to look at uh, freedom without having necessarily because we do have uh, in theory most of the time a freedom loving and a uh, religion loving uh, nation so I think that can be very useful Um, so if people want to reach I think that is a very good thing uh, um so if
2: people want to reach you or find out more about you, where can they go? Yeah, um so I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all those things and my I, I go by Beatnik Betty, B E A T N I K B E T T Y, you know, as a poet and um I just shortened my name from Bethany to Betty. Beatnik Betty uh just kind of stuck and that's what I use for all of my social media. So would be happy to uh, friend you on... You probably would like my Instagram the most. I uh, post a lot of weird witchy artwork and poetry and stuff there.
1: Terrific. So the last piece I have is that you... Um, so you you are able to give a message to your 15-year-old self and other 15-year-olds who are looking at this path. What would you, advice would you give them?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean... It is your path, it is yours. Learn everything you can and listen to what resonates and follow that. And things that don't resonate, give those some time. Um, Wow, that's a a great question. Yeah, I, I think just the empowering idea of how paganism and Wicca offers so much. Uh, for them to construct and uh, kind of build your own spiritual path. It's very empowering.
1: Terrific. Well, thank you for sharing some of your time with us and telling us your story. It's fascinating. Author and activist and um, I think a person whos who's got an eye on the future. So I really appreciate it. And I I see that we're going to hear more about Bethany more in the future. I have a feeling that this, her journey is just beginning uh so thank and thank you so thank you for being with us
2: thank you you're very kind thanks for doing this series also right before i was right before i turned too old to to qualify well we <laughs> it, it
1: was it was
2: it, thank you um th- yeah we,
1: we, we i talked to that uh i'll I'm gonna be talking to that towards the end of this about uh my process for this and there's going to be more of these types of processes but right That's now great we're going to take a, we're, so this is Pagan's tonight and we'll be taking a break and we'll come back with more information for you uh, shortly. Pagan's tonight radio is sponsored by you Your anyone, anywhere, anytime online magical education. And that was a fantastic video. Uh, and that, that's such amazing things. So, you check it out, find it out. I'm going to be talking about Colorado, where she's from. I will be in Denver for Halloween, for the Pagan Pride Day. A Pagan Pride Day on Halloween. Well, how cool could that be? So uh, check it out, DenverPaganPride.com, and I'll be out there, and I will, you know, be talking. I'll be seeing a new, a very important series. It's going to really uh, conversations that we're going to have. But now I'm we're going to move on to El- Isabel Rizzo who is an uh, amazing Chicagoan from my hometown. And she has a great and fascinating story of being a digital nomad, traveling the world, and things a different point of view of witchcraft that I have yet to hear. And uh, so I am so excited to be sharing this with you. Hi, everybody. And today we continue on with our terrific series. And you've heard some really great interviews so far. And today I'm talking to bit, Isabel Rizzo, and uh, so this is going to be very interesting. She comes from my hometown, as you know. I'm in Chicago. I'll be back there soon, uh, but but tonight. So we'll, we'll bring uh, Isabel on. Hi, Isabel. Hi.
4: Thanks for having me.
1: And so while we go ahead and get started, so why don't you tell us how you got here, your comic book story? How did you become uh, the practitioner of today?
4: Yes. I think I was in the the, uh, broom closet for many, many years, let's say, um, despite using divinatory practices for self-care for many years. Um, I think my first, well, my background was in a charismatic Pentecostal tradition, so that already is a different level of spirituality. (laughs) Um, But I had a lot of questions and um, kept asking questions that weren't answered or even frowned upon to ask. And so I devoted a summer around in high school, going to different um, faith communities and um, different temples, uh, synagogues, uh, mosques, even, and asking these different questions. And the library, the spirituality and world's religion section devoured all of those books that I could to try to get a deeper understanding of what what these questions were that just weren't being answered um, in the charismatic Christian uh, tradition. And so from there, uh, I started doing what could be evolved from prayer into channeled uh, type of um, meditative work. And from there, I received the download, let's say, of I need to travel the world and help people. I was also dealing with pretty serious um, trauma at the time as well. So of course, leaning on spirituality for my own personal well-being was really important. So traveling the world and helping people, everything else I did not know what I wanted to do with my life or anything like that. And so I um, ended up in Asia and worked in education for a while. Um, and that opened up so many different doors um, with people in their own spiritual paths. And so I was really interested in doing what we're doing right now of interviewing and listening to people's stories and how did they get to where they are. Uh, After coming back from Asia, I really loved um, collecting these stories and also tuning into the energies of different spaces and the stories that are there, the spirits that are there. And um, I bought a one-way ticket, didn't know when it was gonna come back to Chicago. and just hung out in Europe for quite a while. First went to the Digital Nomad Conference in Berlin and was talking about the future of work, which interestingly enough, now with the pandemic, remote work is normal. When this is maybe seven or eight years ago and we we're talking about the future of work. I like, I guess it took a pandemic for us to get there. And um, there was a lot of intersections about personal development, autonomy, spiritual growth that was, was involved with being a digital nomad because you are alone with yourself and all parts of yourself whether you like it or not no matter where in the world you may be and i think everything kind of turned to a head when i finally made it to paris and lived there for a while and i got my first oracle deck Um, and i told the shopkeeper at this cute little boutique um, i want something that i can only get here and uh, I got an oracle deck made by um, Maj Altiz, who had a lineage of uh, divinatory practices and readings uh, from the Roma tradition, but in Paris, and they still live in their caravan to this day. And he collaborated with a beautiful watercolor artist. So I've started to see right this intersection between art and spirituality and then practical uses. So this is a, the beginning, maybe turning point Uh, when I could see where I would fit into my own practice today. After leaving Paris and went to Romania and found my orthodox roots there in the mystical side of Christianity um, that is orthodoxy that I couldn't find in the West in the charismatic tradition. So upon arriving back to Chicago, I knew that I needed to have the next download, which happened in Timisoara in Romania, that I needed to have an international exhibition. Did I know anything about putting an art show on? No idea, but everything was divinely led, which then led me to the curator, to the stylist that I work with, to the space that the show eventually turned into, and that was in Prague a year later. Did I plan all that happening? No, it was listening to those intuitive nudges, as I like to call them. Um, was it terrifying? Absolutely. <laughs> it was a brand new territory, but it led me to what today is my artistic practice, um, still using what I did back like my 14, 15-year-old self of channeling the work. Um, and even the work behind me in the, the studio is definitely all channeled work. Um, and I used, again, that, that tuning into spaces because I still use, even in my studio, in my space, um, red, white, black, and silver, and there's certain symbols that always occur again and again in my work, and um, they're related to the um, ethnographic symbols of the old costumes in Romanian Transylvanian folklore. Every region had its own blouse that had different sigils on the sleeves, written up, and I was like, "This is the way that I can connect to the mysticism that is where I'm rooted from." That was kind of taken away as, as an immigrant in the Western Christian charismatic tradition. So this is my own you know, taking back my identity through art and through mysticism and spirituality. And now being back in um, Chicago is really taking all of these experiences, rituals, processes, and then inviting people to find their own within my own art, which coven in Chicago. And it's really, how do you cultivate self autonomy as a practitioner, as an artist, within a community. And I'm really excited that we'll also be doing um, a group exhibition with these different processes, touching on all the way from grief to personal transformation to inner child work, um, coming through the lenses of these different art witches. Um, So it is a really interesting intersection of personal spirituality, artwork, um, and then even exploring uh, and integrating different parts of ourselves. How do we still show up as artists and practitioners in this way?
1: That's fascinating. So, you, so it takes a lot to be a world traveler. I mean, I'm, I, I, I love to travel. It's like my, my one true love. Um, Chicago kind of built that for me. So are you originally from Chicago?
4: No. Uh, originally was born in Germany, but uh, roots in Romania. So after the communist revolution, my family left stayed in Germany and then I was born there and then we ended up in uh, North America.
1: Okay so you've been traveling all your life.
4: Yep always in that liminal in-between space with identity.
1: <laughs> For A lot of people travel and the idea of entering these cultures because you have to enter the culture when you especially the way that you're doing it you're working not just traveling to them but you're working within them and you have to yeah. drop yourself into those cultures you can't you can bring a little bit of yourself, your, uh, yourself, but you have to really let go of a lot of your prejudice. That's very tough to do. Can you talk a little bit about that process when you enter these new cultures?
4: I think for me, its I've always felt in between, like you said, be in between cultures, and I never felt fully American, even going through. I went up to uh, third grade to Romanian school in Chicago. Um, and then went to an American private school and an American public school, which that, if anything, was more of a culture shock than flying overseas to Asia. <laughs>
3: right.
4: Um, the, even though Asia was definitely its own culture shock. Uh, but if anything, because I never come in with, with, this could just be me being a Sagittarius sun and a Sagittarius Mercury. Uh, Venus and Aquarius, everything for me is very like clinically looked through a lens in relationship. Um, and I think that that gave me uh, comfort in the differences, and it was nice to um, to, ad- to not even adopt, but to chameleon and take what was so good about all of these cultures in my own personal practices and personal energies, and seeing these different traditions in these cultures, seeing what may not be as beneficial, and being ingratitude to be in America, because then I can multiculture myself <laughs> um, from these different experiences. Um, and it is interesting, particularly in Europe, because everything is so close, like Germany is the size of Wisconsin for, for you know, context, um, is jumping from language to language, because the language then also changes the perception of what you're seeing and also the personality. So jumping from France to then Germany and then to Romania, I was like, "There's so mu- there's just there's so much personality <laughs> differences in the language." Right when we talk about spells, um, the way you know, like linguistically, our personalities are made. That's spell work right there. And I think there needs to be more. Um, how I'm seeing it in in um, occult communities is this this recognition of cultural differences of linguistic differences and it's not just the energies and the words that we say but it's so many different layers um of things when when we're exploring different cultures or even different practices let's say right
1: so people don't understand one of the things i say that people are surprised is we're language all the way down to our uh into our dna we're yes. language everything we do is about language language was one of the first great singularities we came for it's almost impossible for us to imagine and for most impossible to imagine what it was like to be pre-linguistic. You know, that is something. So once we started language, it's one of those things we couldn't come back from. Yeah. Um, so you've also, so you went to the digital, I actually know about that conference. That was not it that I'm a big fan of digital nomadism. And actually, I, as people know, I began and got stumped my first move to actually fully embrace it. I've traveled a lot. So I've been a traveler, but that digital nomad. Can you explain to people what that actually means for you? Because yeah. people are starting to hear this word. Um, and so. Yeah,
4: definitely. Um, for me, digital nomad was you are, well, you first off, right, like talking about cultural identities, you take on the identity as a. Um, technological native. <laughs> you and technology are integrated. We're not like robot singularity mode, but we are like all of the conversations would be on Zoom like this. There's nothing odd or weird about it. You are fully responsible and autonomous for your own schedule. Then you're also, um, right, as a nomad, you're hopping around from place to place. You are location independent. You are not reliant on a particular education. Uh, ad- That too, education, but location, um, that will define you know you getting work done um, creatively, professionally, or otherwise. Uh, The hard part with being a digital nomad then is this internal like discipline that you must have with hey I'm in a different country but I have client work that I need to do but also the Eiffel Tower is right there or there's a big ocean over here I can go swimming in and you having to define your own rhythm with play and work, uh, rest and work. Um, so I think like if anybody wants <laughs> like um, crazy hundred level um, internal mastery practice, trying out being a digital nomad even for a week. Cause then there's also right. Like you need to make sure your wifi is working. If you don't have your wifi, what are you gonna do? You find the cafe, you, you know, you have got your hotspot. Then you're traveling from different countries too, all these little things of, well, do I get a new SIM card? Do I adjust to this? All these things that you are reliant on, um, change change you and your makeup as a person. But like when I arrived in Chicago, adjusting to um, not digital nomad life was weird. Be <laughs> I mean, like, oh, I don't have you know. People would say all the time, do you want to have a do you want to meet up at a coffee shop? Um, and I'd be working you know full full time. And I said, oh, I don't, you know, to go into a coffee shop and like take the train and all this was time away from my particular rhythm and schedule. And I said, hey, want to meet up on Skype when Skype was the whole thing, which mm-hmm. I think I'm still very shocked that Skype didn't win, overtook. Um, They would give me like the weirdest look of, well, why don't you meet at a coffee shop? What's wrong with you? And I'm like, I have my schedule and how I do things. And this is what works. And if we want to like, do something else. Like I'm very, very intentional with with the time um, scheduling as much as possible. And right, this is where you're learning. Where can you be flexible? Where can you not? So, digital nomad basically, you are either or you run your own company digitally, and you are not reliant on a location for your overhead or for your office space, and you're really responsible for you getting everything done. There's no boss looking over your shoulder. If you don't, you don't have an Airbnb or a house sit that set like you're fully responsible
3: for that.
1: <laughs> so and that sounds like a lot of adventure. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. I, I'm a techno magician. I talk about cyberspace and psychic space. Yes, uh, I was I was in Zoom before Zoom got big. I remember Skype. I can tell you why Skype didn't make it. It didn't make the transition. It didn't it, do a good job. It just didn't do a good job. It should have yeah. won, but then it was held by a big company. Whereas Zoom, when COVID started, the only reason why Zoom got—I would have thought it was some of the others. And if get, to get really nerdy, I thought it would be WebEx or GoToMeetings that would have won in that space. but yeah, Zoom, yeah, yeah. But Zoom made one thing that changed it forever. It gave it away for free to all the teachers. And of course, mm. and so they gave away free classroom space to every teacher, yeah. and they didn't, they didn't even qualify it. They said, if you're a teacher, they believed you, and they gave you a free account, which forced every kid to get a free account, and boom, overnight. Uh, huh?
4: Very smart business move on their part. <laughs> right. Zoom,
1: Zoom have been on for a while. People are like, what, Zoom's been around for a while? Yeah. A lot of technology has been. And, and, and Zoom and Skype and all of them are like teleport companies. I tell them, They're like teleportation. Yeah, they're not yeah, you get teleported into and you could get into these spaces. Um, I'm very big into the idea that we're heading into an automagical world of the internet. Uh, the metaverse yes. and did that. Um I've been doing radio because I did radio in Chicago very early on. And I did a lot of Chicago radio, terrestrial radio. And I used to pay seventy five dollars an hour to get on terrestrial radio to be heard for about maybe ten thousand people, if I was lucky. I pay yeah. I pay that I pay a little more than that for a month's worth of service, uh, which we're on, and that basically I get to reach everybody who's got the internet. And right. So it's been it's been a big change, and um, I'm a big believer in it. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit about Art Witches and what it is you're doing today, um, that has you know people seeing you uh, as an emerging as an emerging member of our communities kind of a next generation.
4: Yes. I think, um, like I mentioned, it, it, there's a couple of different intersections, right? It's the, the pagan and occult community. It's the art community and the personal development community.
3: Mm-hmm. And
4: I think what's great about the first exhibition in Prague was it was those three different groups coming together and really changing the way that we look at walking into an art gallery, which is just like, oh, okay, the artwork and seeing it. But actually, hey, let's have a conversation about what's happening internally for you in front of the art, seeing the art object even as a transformational tool um, or as a a magical tool even. Um, And I think right now um, with art witches, there's this resurgence of um, the history of American spiritualism and the art witches that were there. Uh, Speaking of you know, Hilma F. Clint, who sold out the Guggenheim show, the most successful show of all time, uh, a woman artist that channeled all of her paintings and had a seance of women come together as part of her artist collective. That's not very, you know, not very typical of the artist scene. Um, And knowing that she had her artwork um, exhibited after her lifetime in a circular temple. So if we look at the Guggenheim that's exactly what happened <laughs> and she could foretell that um, and then also the uh emergence of um all the different art- artistic mediums that we have available to us I'm glad that you brought up techno magic because part of the art witch coven that I run not everybody's in Chicago and some of the members are overseas and if we have a group exhibition whether it's 3D painting or an installation or video or something immersive, even though they're not here, they can still create an immersive magical installation that people can engage with in this space. So it is like teleportation, right? It's teleportation, it's immersive experience, using all of the senses in a way that invites people to be intentional. And I think that's really where a cult community comes in and where I like to take up space in occult cult community is the intentionality, whether it's the extremism of digital nomad life making that brought me to that, <laughs> but I found it efficient and comforting for me and mm-hmm. was able to space right for like a studio practice and running a business and all the things that I do. Like, if I didn't have that, I don't think I could have come as far as I have and like bring that into art witchery. <laughs> um but this this intentionality that we can come in when we walk into spaces. If you're not walking into a church or a synagogue or a temple anymore that creates that awe, how can we as art witches create that sense of awe internally and externally in the spaces that we make art in? That's my intent with art witchery um, and art witchcraft is inviting people into spaces that are sacred and then not just keeping it for the art witch themselves, but also inviting other, others to engage in that art witch process, too, if they feel so inclined, right? Because we have a whole buffet of tools <laughs> in the magical world that we can use for our own personal healing, transformation, manifestation, all those fun things.
3: So I
1: really think it's cool. You just mentioned something that I'm, I'm thrilled with, is the idea of 3D uh, magic. Is that, painting in, is, that, is that light painting in the Oculus world or the uh, VR world?
4: Exactly. Yeah, one of the artists in particular has mentioned that when they were out in New York and they tried it out, they said, oh, "This is speaking to me." And as I mentioned before, like these intuitive nudges when they when you're just swelling up or you have a visceral reaction, that's an intuitive nudge. And like we got to listen to that. Let's mm-hmm. dive into what can we create because that's that's something that is more divine. That's coming from that deeper pre language space as you were talking about. Uh,
1: I. I uh, uh... That's amazing because I do think that's like when you hear about painting on the astral, and I think this sort of – this is almost a physicality. I tell people that the internet and the space that you're working in is cyberspace is imagination born. And I yes. think one of the things you're dealing with is I think – I'm really grateful to actually be talking to you is because I think one of the things I've taught, one of my primary things I teach is imagination is real. It's a real intuition. It's a real thing. And we're taught as children to try to shut that off, to try not to deal with it. But it is real space. It's a real thing. And cyberspace, um, for me, the the definition of magic is to take something internal in the mind and make it external so that it can affect the environment. Mm. Uh, So I think that's exactly what you're doing. You're taking internal magical senses and externalizing them in ways that other people can share them internally
4: exactly right it's 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 how do we put because sometimes words can fall flat when mm-hmm. it comes to the material and that's why playing in 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 visuals and symbols um and archetypal you know stories I, I I love that um and I think too the other thing that that I'm looking at like just this past weekend I did a seance at um a really cool venue in midwest here and um one of the participants was visually impaired. And like, how can we create experiences that are also accessible to people that are differently abled too, right? Because sometimes when we'll see, it, we'll think of art, right? We'll think of a visual painting, which I do a lot of those. But also how can we play with the senses? How can we do this immersive 3D? Um, how did you put it? You put it really well of um, painting in, the, in cyberspace. Uh, also immersive sound, right? How can we use these different elements to make, the artwork and the magic be transformative for everybody involved that comes in that has different abilities and
1: different sensibilities too. I think uh, I, wow, you're you're right at the cutting edge that I'm I've been so much dealing with and I've been enjoying working with. Um and I like to see actually people as that so you use the term art witches. Can you describe that a little bit more? What do you mean? That's a really cool term. I don't think many people who are listening are going to be hearing that. And uh, can you talk about what is an art
4: witch? <laughs> right. I think for, for me, um, right, when we think of artist, mm-hmm. there's already a certain connotation and denotation that comes with artist. It um, he has so much luggage assigned to it. Um, which is always, right, the starving artist, the romantic artist, they do paintings and they do, you know, so it's a certain thing. And right, linguistically and magic making, we make up words that may have a cleaner slate, or at least have some more flexibility than it does then just saying, well, I'm an artist. All right, great. (laughs) You're an artist. (laughs) But with art, witches, right, so we're bringing in witches too. For me, I I do a a class on um, the history of Of witches too and how witch is really a word of reclamation as well Um, Mm -hmm. because the history of that is just well that's another conversation for another day (laughs) but um, to be named a witch came from such um, such a you know vile place even though they were the midwives the the ones that were doing um, healing work they were doing the research and the gathering of information from the plants that were in the space as herbalists Um, They were the channelers. They were the ones connected to divinity. And in different traditions too, even in Abrahamic faith, the woman is connected in with the divine already. Um, And not saying like the art witch coven that I uh, co-facilitate, we're also welcome queer and non-binary folks, because if anything, they're also very tuned in. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Because witch does have the connotation of it being just female only. Um, but for historical uh, purposes, it was mainly, right, like female witch hunts, that kind of thing. So I'm using it that way as a reclamation word. And then art is the shortened artist, right? How are we using art making? Making, like people think of witches and their magic wands, really like, hey, the oil pastel or the paintbrush or the oculus mask. What, you know, these are all magical tools. Um, and it is a little bit, like you said, this edge of technology, but also acknowledging the past and the history of where witchcraft kind of came from. Um, so I love this. I love the combination of future visioning, futurist thinking alongside with past recognitions and how do we put these two together? So an art, which came together in this
1: way. That's fantastic. So you say, you talk about exhibitions, you talk about, the group that you, that you lead. And Mm -hmm. that sounds, that sounds like a fantastic group. Uh, It it does. It sounds really, it sounds like a really cool thing to do. You talk about creating spaces. So me, so, so let me go ahead and ask a question first. So I'm an observer. I'm just saying I'm just an outside person of no, of no particular culture of no particular situation. How do we interact with what what you're doing? How did, how does what you do interact with, just the or you know just a person walking down the street they see something you've done how do yeah. they interact with that or they come to a show what how do they would interact with you
4: there's there's so many ways because i work with people from all the way super occult practitioners where mm-hmm. right i'm a teacher at the school of occult arts with the eckharts who also do seances and we teach wow. people occult history to folks that have never had a tarot reading in their life and they're really nervous because there's lots of scary catholic things from the western perspective imbued mm-hmm. in that right like so <laughs> we have the full spectrum of of humanity and how to engage um so like meant tarot reading is like basic astrology reading a little bit of a deeper dive um I work at a therapy practice as well as a consulting hypnotist and I'm in school to get my PhD in art therapy. So there's a couple of those different things as well at play that people can engage in that way. Exhibitions are another way, right? Like people can walk into the exhibition and actually there's going to be one soon that's going to be in a therapy practice or multi-using the space for mental health and community outreach but also here's an at- exhibition space that we can use so we can create a win-win situation for everyone one of the um installations that i'll be playing with is um with plant communication and how plants can make sounds and how mm-hmm. you can interact with plants so it is techno techno-ish but also back into the earth so very natural but also technophile is is calmed in that e- expression as well <laughs> so people can engage in that way um in an exhibition um other ways people engage in classes and in workshops um at the school of occult arts online it's also an online um, and then also in person pre pre-pandemic was i would do um, week-long retreats in transylvania and one of the themes that we talked about was you defining your sacred space right like how i was talking about reading Spaces and reading rooms in that way. What is sacred to you and cultivating that practice of intuitive nudge listening? So we would do flower essence making, herbal making, art making at that time. We'd go down into the cave down in Transylvania and all the way up to the top of the Carpathian Mountains. So we could see the full breadth, right, of of earth. Um, Coming up, we have um, something more in North America, in uh, North Carolina, going into a castle and then experiencing and reading the space of that castle, engaging in hypnosis and seance and going into theirs I didn't know, but they have a cave not far away from the castle, but then also going to the top of the castle where they have a tower. So this this as above, down below experience of earthiness, but also ritual and community. Mm-hmm. So those are different ways of how I've engaged or how people can engage with me as a practitioner but also as an artist um, recently uh, on Instagram of all places uh, the right cyberspace social media platforms they're also galleries in a way um, mm-hmm. about um, personal practices and this connection that I brought up with my ethnographic research about the sigils on the Romanian blouses and then bringing it into a contemporary audience and somebody just reached out and said, you know what? I'm actually from this region, but I'm so far away from home and ancestral work, I would love something that is from this particular region. So creating individual pieces that then are kind of imbued with the sigils and the history from that region sent out to that individual almost as a healing artwork versus just like here's a commission of your face, you know, is <laughs> which I think is more an artist kind of thing to do um or that we see in main you know mainstream artist kind of world but this is that that brings it back to art witchery and bringing that in to somebody personally
1: i think that's an incredibly interesting space because mm-hmm. um i deal with pagans all over the world and yeah. wh- and one of the things i think that we're seeing is that they're trying to recover from where Imper- imperial western imperialism destroyed Mm-hmm. I never knew about the blouses in Romania. and I've seen it now in the Philippines. They're trying to get back to their native practices, which were, mm-hmm. you know, kind of uh, especially was, you know, put down by the Catholic Church. We see it in Brazil and in yeah. South America where, you know, you know, 50, 100 years of really like we're going to be all one type of person. And yeah. now these younger people are trying to find their magical practices. Mm-hmm. And so so I think that's very important. And I think the work you're doing is, is probably one of the few areas but I say that AI is going to take a very long time to adapt to. It. And in fact, it's going to be the opposite. It sounds like you're going to learn how to use the AI for your purposes instead of against you.
4: We've already got that.
3: <laughs> so
4: one of the projects um, in regards to one of the other things that I do at the the mental health practice with hypnosis and death doula work, the mm-hmm. so grief right. is this app called, you may be familiar with it, um, Replica. It's R-E-P-L-I-K-A, which is actually created by uh, a woman that lost her partner. I believe it was in an accident. And she uploaded as many communications between them as she could into Mm -hmm. this. And it was almost, there actually might be a Black Bear episode around this, um, a bit more futuristic, but... Mm able to communicate with the energy of this person through text and mm-hmm. it would have voice it would have the same um written speech uh, right. of that person and so the replica app which is available and it's free um is the more you talk to it the more it, it's almost like a crux in a way <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: your- you might <laughs>
1: replica is about 45th level so
3: right Uh, um it's
1: i I won't do math it's the only thing that irritates me it won't do the math uh (laughs) but yeah it is it's very interesting and i'm um i'm using that there's another one called reality where you're the they convert you into an anime character and it follows Mm -hmm. your face and then you can put on shows as the anime character
3: interesting and it's
1: called reality Mm
3: -hmm.
1: um it's just starting out and um uh i know uh i'm as everybody knows, I'm, I'm deep into this, and people. So my my current thing, and then the reason why I'm doing some of these these speaks, and I know uh, we're going to get down to our last questions because we, we are busy people. I know you're a very busy person. Um, is this idea of the metaverse? Um, I've been talking metaverse about six or seven years. Uh, the reality of the last year, I've helped a lot of the festivals go on. I've got you know gotten a lot of the tools. Um, I will be talking at paying pride about. The Pagan World is my big project now, which is a new directory. Um, it's you know I love Pagan Night Radio. I've been a radio host for 13 years, on and off, 3,000 episodes. We get all of this material, but I've become very obsessed with the idea of the long now—that what's going to happen over the long period of time. And so, yeah. and so it's very interesting of seeing the Pagan community become part of the metaverse, which is the AR, XR, as you you know, but as for the people out there, XR, AR, VR. The reality coming in and that we're about to see i'm telling you it's going to be a little longer than you expect it to come in and it's going to come in a lot faster than you realize it's it's i tell people that we got about a five-year framework um to deal with and uh, and one of my projects is uh, a tarot a tarot a tarot ai it's going to be it's uh, i want to i want to create a tarot reading ai um out there and people go why go, so they're gonna take our job so no it's gonna be an augmentation but that's a whole other show i'd love to sit down and, and have a whole show just talk to you about um I think an
4: augmentation would be really cool especially if you could take that on the road mm-hmm. like when we in person readings as uh, even um it reminds me of the actually the ai movie with the little um like projection that you'd have of that
3: mm-hmm.
4: and i think that that would add just so much more well, it would add depth, but also again, going back to the how do we make things um, accessible for differently able bodies to engage?
3: People,
4: I think would be really
1: interesting. So wow, so there's so much more I'd love to talk to you about. But we're going to stick to to, to what you do and so that sort of thing. Um, so people can come out and see things. You where do they? Where do you share your information? Where can people contact you the most?
4: Yeah. Um, so my best space, right? I, I the the metaphor is that my website is my my home space for do
3: mm-hmm.
4: things, and that's my name, IsabelRizzo.com. Um, I'm pretty active on Instagram. That's IsabelRizzoBBP. That's Bella V Productions, my my company name. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I'm part of the clinician th- uh, team at Art of Balance in Chicago. And um, actually, funny enough, we're the first group that um, clinically created a two tarot and internal family systems groups, which is really nice. So we're blending tarot alongside um, internal family systems, which is a, a trauma-informed uh, therapeutic modality. Um, and people
0: oh.
4: didn't think, like, I know mean, huh. that what people want to sign up for when it comes to therapy, but I'm, I'm here for it if we can get more mental health support out there very happy about that
1: <laughs> that's very surprising to me because I had to go through that I went through that process about eight or nine years ago of integrated family therapy yes. just literally that and just, it was very different you know finding out a whole the different parts of you and things like that wow so okay so I asked this of everybody what music are you listening to now
4: oh oh my goodness
1: is there anything <laughs> music that you're obsessed with for now
4: I am, funny enough, you're going to laugh at this. I've been listening to Bo Burnham on repeat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I love him. Talk about, like, being, like, growing up on the internet and then internet fame, but then also mindfulness around using technology and mental Mm -hmm. health. Love him as a human and an artist. Um, And then I've been listening to um, Onuka, O-N-U-K-A, where she brings... um, kind of technology music with Ukrainian folk music together. And she, she sang at um, Eurovision, I think, four or five years ago. And that's how I discovered her. I was like, what is this? And so I've become obsessed. And she actually played at Talia Hall, but I think I was working that night. But I was like, next time, I will see you live, Onuka."
1: <laughs> it sounds like in, in what we consider live in the future is going to be a little different. But so do you... Yeah. So, so what do you, do you have now from here, where do you plan to go as you, you've done so many fantastic things you've had to say, what do you plan to go from here? What does the future look like for you? Do you have a plan?
4: Yeah. So
1: I didn't know I'm, the gods laugh at them, but <laughs> <laughs> I
4: go back to school when the pandemic hit, because every time mm. fall would roll around, they'd be like, Oh, I should go to school. But as we know, in school, uh, America, school is very expensive, but I finally took the plunge. And then working with the other therapists too, they said, you know what, just go get your license and do the research that you want to do. And I said, you know what, yeah, because I've reached not not a not a plateau, but I feel like I could go further than I I want to easier, with the right credentials. Um, And then of course one of the uh, a couple people mentioned a PhD program, and I was like, oh, don't tempt me. But they got me, so. (laughs) that that's that's on the horizon um and my my long-term vision for now is to base there um that integrates art therapy um entrepreneurship and then also conserving some of the old uh artistic and artisanal craft um practices that were there Mm -hmm. like the blouses there's a whole generation of people that have left the country that you go out they're still farming like in medieval times there you know and once that generation is gone who's going to you know make sure that those stories are still alive that those sigils are still known that those practices are still going so that's my long-term vision after school we shall see what happens from now until then but
1: that is that's a wonderful thing so the last thing I ask you is, uh, you're going to give advice to your 15 year old self and thus 15 year olds everywhere.
0: What yeah. advice?
1: What advice would you give? Give that 15 year old. Uh, I know it's it's always an interesting question, isn't it? Um,
4: I I would tell a 15 year old me and any other 15 year old that's listening today to. Um, listen into those intuitive nudges that you have even if they're scary even if they don't make sense even if they go against the grain as somebody that had the intuitive nudge to not dive right into college after school and got really weird looks because they're like you're you're doing good grades and i don't understand like if you need to go away and figure out your path for a hot second be it seven years like me or whatever to really listen listen to that. And then the other thing too is the right people are going to show up on your path. Um, take the time to follow your curiosities, develop those skills from those curiosities. I was curious about writing and then I stumbled into SEO writing and blogging, like, and that turned into a skill that I could monetize, you know. Um, not everyone should be an entrepreneur, but if you have entrepreneurial in- uh, inkling, highly recommend. And there's no, I'll say this, there's no uh, wrong way to make art and be a community um, service provider, (laughs) a community service member. Um, If there's a big vision that you see in the world that you want to change, like this doesn't feel right to me, go down that path and see what you can do. It doesn't have to be big. I would always think like I have to change the world, right? Like 15 year old selves do, like we're going to change the world, but really your presence is enough. The skills that you cultivate from your curiosities are enough. Um, And I'm excited what that new generation is going to bring. So the world's going to be real different (laughs) when they're, they're in their late twenties, early (laughs) thirties.
1: I I agree with you. And so we've been, thank you for being here with us. This has been a joy. And a special treat for me, this is Isabel Rizzo. You're going to hear a lot more about her in the future. Um, I fully suspect that she's going to take a lot of attention. Arch Witch, uh a new term I've learned today. I like it. We're going to find out more about it soon. Thank you for being with us today and part of this series.
4: Thank you so much.
1: And uh, so this is, how yeah, you, you listen to Peggy Night Radio, and we'll be right back after this message. Tonight, our message is very simple, you know, these great, these were fantastic interviews, I so much loved them tomorrow we're going to be back with Sir Ebony Nash right Reverend Phoenix Williams I think it is, but I'm going to do something really simple I'm going to play, but I think is a great uh, poem by Felice Malay <laughs>
0: In the past, they burned us because they thought we were witches. Just because we knew what to do with herbs outside of the kitchen, because we knew how to dance, how to seduce, how to pray, because we moved with disciples of the moon. In the past, they burned us alive because they knew that we are witches. So now we cast spells with our mouths, pieces of our hearts spill out, It is incredible the power of a woman who is not afraid to say no. No, we won't sit any longer while you ponder on our rights, on our rights to give or not give life, on our rights to make another woman our wife, on our rights to be safe, to get paid an equal wage, to have a voice, you know, in a place where we might actually make a change. It is incredible. The amount of ways that they have slayed just to keep us small. If they could have, they probably would have burned us all, but they couldn't with fire, so they did it with words, laid down laws to determine the amount of our worth. They kept us in contracts. They separated our circles, erased us from pages, and made labour-saving devices our saviors. It is incredible how quickly knowledge can fade, how much effort was invested to lead us astray. But we... Will not come quietly. Mm. Well, there's another thing we've tried to take away. You know, our right to exclaim our orgasms ecstatically. Mm-mm. We will not come quietly. We will open our mouths and let our spells spill out, cast poetic prayers into the night so that every woman can hear the howl of her sister's delight reminding her that her voice deserves to be heard. Let her jaw drop, let her shame stop, let her body scream under the self-pleasure of what it means to be a woman who can speak freely. You see, words, they carry meaning, and they have fooled us for so long into believing that no means yes, so much so that I'm almost impressed Except, well, i finally discovered that they're right So I've claimed back that no as mine Because every no I throw against their forces Is another yes I retain for my own self-worth It is a spell I cast for my own protection It is incredible The power of a woman who is not afraid to say no And this old witch I'm done with broomsticks I'm done with know your place this which knows that some knowledge, just one phrase that every woman is my sister, that through the hubble and the bubble and the toil and the trouble we grow stronger when we cast our spells together, that we entered the fire and now we rise from the ashes and we are holding our candles and lighting our matches until the night becomes lighter and our voices can grow because we have remembered we are witches and we have learned to say not.
1: everyone blessing everyone and we'll be back tomorrow night continuing with part five of what is going to be a seven part series uh we're halfway through it a little more and i think it's been not only enjoy it's been eye and it's only get
3: better from here night everybody